Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. We good this morning? This feels weird. I'm not going to lie. It feels weird. If you don't know, we were a part of this church for a while. We left for a little while. It didn't take us 40 years of wandering, um, but we're back. And it feels good to be home, church. It feels very, very good. Thank you so much for welcoming us back, uh, my wife and I and my kids. Uh, we, we love this place. We, it's home to us. And we're just so thankful the Lord has led us uh, back to OKC Community. Even my four-year-old, I said, what do you love about going to church? He's like, OKC Community is the best, Dad. They have the best donuts in the world. <laughs> and so I don't know what other churches are serving, but they're not serving the donuts we have here. So if you're looking and you're wondering those donuts are good, the best in the world. So um, it feels really good to be back. It's also weird because since I left here a few years ago, uh, I get the opportunity to do this and go and speak places and but the unique thing is, every time where I go and I speak, I'm not there the following week. And so if I tank, it's like, eh, I'm not there anyway. So, you know, like, what does it matter? But, you know, next week, I'm going to be sitting right here. So there's a lot more pressure for this not to go terribly wrong as I was preparing this week. But um, nonetheless, excited to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, I'm Caleb. Uh, my wife is Casey. Uh, and we have three wonderful children uh, who run around here. And they're all redheads, and so we don't go outside much. But... Um, we're really excited to be here and to be with you. And if you're wondering if I'm going to slow down, I talk quickly. So if you're out there and you're like, does he slow down? And people are like, nah, that's not going to happen. So I talk fast and I rarely stay still. So I hope you're with me. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I do it because I get excited and I don't have this opportunity to do very much. So I'm going to give it everything I got. You ready to go, church? Let's get after it. Hey, let's welcome the Holy Spirit into this room. Can we do that? Can you do it with me? If you're comfortable, put your hands out. Let's welcome into the Spirit into this room. Lord Jesus, we give you this day, God, because it's already yours. Everything in it, everything you've said about it, everything that's supposed to happen, God, we believe it will. It is your day, Jesus, so we give it to you. Father, we welcome you into this room. We're thankful that wherever two or more are gathered, here you are with us. So we welcome the creator of the universe into this space, Jesus. We thank you for it. And God, we pray the enemy out of this room, he has no stronghold here. Jesus, all the things he's trying to distract us with, all the things he's trying to get our mind on, they have no voice here, God. He doesn't get a vote in this room. This room's yours, Jesus. So we pray him out. Would you break down any wall he's tried to build up today? It's gone, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. I pray, God, we will walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Church, we're in a series called Make God First. Everybody say it. Make God First. Yeah, we've had a good time in this series. We've talked about a lot of different things, right? We've talked about this idea of, hey, for, I'll make God first, but first I got to do this. Anybody here with that, right? Anybody here? Uh, yeah, that one hit me like, ooh, yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, we talked about prayer, right? We talked about the prayer of Jabez, what it likes to pray first. What does it mean to give first, that we get to give, right? We got to talk about that. We talked about inviting God to break the battle last week. Uh, Scott came up here and told us that, hey, God's people love people. If we're going to make God's first, we got to love people. Friends, if you haven't listened to the series, I would encourage you to go back and do that. And today, we're going to talk about a pretty famous verse. If you spent time in church at all, you've probably heard this one. It's from the book of Matthew, verse chapter 6, verse 33. I want you to show that bad boy up on screen as we talk about this. It says, but, everyone the yellow out loud, but what? Seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So I... Uh, used all my creativity and titled today's message, Seek First, is what we're going to be talking about. Now, 
I could say this verse, hey, we should seek first the kingdom of God. And I don't think many people who chose on Sunday morning to get up and come to church, this is a voluntary thing, right? Uh, none of us are like, you know, you know, we're not getting paid to do this. There's no NIL deals for OKC community, right? Like, we all chose to come here, to spend our Sunday morning here. We could be a lot of places doing a lot of things. So if I said, hey, we should seek first the kingdom of God, not many people in this room would be like, nah. I disagree. I don't think that's something, like, most of us in this room would be like, yeah, we agree. And, uh, and one thing I, I spent time studying this week, and I spent time thinking about myself growing up and my church experience and my experience in school with other people, and I think the thing that we lack the most as people, as followers of Jesus, as people who don't follow Jesus, there's just a giant lack of empathy in our world today. Would you agree, church? Like the one thing we lack when it comes to the way we view other people is this idea of empathy. And when Tim and I were talking about the series a couple weeks ago, he's like, what have you liked about the series? And that word just kept coming to my mind, this idea of empathy. I think the way we've approached this, because this would be a really easy series for all of us to leave every week and be like, man, we failed. Would you agree? If I say, hey, we got to make God first, and you're like, well, he's not first. And that makes you feel like a what? A failure. If I say, hey, we got to make God first, but we make excuses sometimes. First, sometimes we say, first, I got it. And then what do we feel like? Man, I'm failing again. We say, hey, we got to pray first. I don't know if you're like me. Any of you guilty like me? When things happen in my life, I talk to my wife. I may call my dad. I talk to my friends. And then I pray about it. Anybody? Yeah, so I pray like fourth. Right? When it comes to giving, like no one just likes giving away their money. Right? It takes that posture of being like, hey, this is already God's. I don't want to uh, talk about my battles, talk about those deep, dark places in my life I don't like to explore. Like, I, I want to leave those in the darkness, right? That's what we like to do because we don't like to bring those into the light. Or when we talk about loving people, man, someone cut me off on the way to church and I said some things. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want to do this, but here's the idea. When we approach this, what I've loved about what we've done in this series is we haven't talked about you should do this and if you don't, here's the problem. What we've done is talked about Maybe what are some of the reasons we haven't done these things? And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to approach this by saying, what are some of the reasons maybe why we don't seek God first? Because I don't know if you're like me, church. I still keep thinking that God's going to love the future version of Caleb more than the one right now. Anyone feel this? Like God's going to love the Caleb that's a better husband. God's going to love the Caleb that's a better father, that's a better neighbor, that's a better friend, that's a better uh, community member, once Caleb's got this, who doesn't struggle with this, who doesn't say this, who doesn't think this, once I do those things, God will love me more. And Ephesians 1 says that before the earth's foundation was laid, he was going to adopt me and make me holy and blameless in his sight. So whether you've had a good week or a bad week, God's not disappointed in the way in which you're living your life, friends. But I think our default position is to think God's going to love this future version of me more than right now. And I'm here to tell you this with empathy, like we're going to seek first and we're going to talk about maybe why that's difficult for us in some ways. So let's look at a story from scripture because I could love to be like, I have all of these wonderful tips of how you're going to do this and act like me and you'll do this, but I don't have that. So um, we're going to look at a story from scripture today and see what it has to teach us. You ready? Genesis chapter 22. If you have a Bible or if you're on your phone, hop off Instagram and hop on your Bible app. <laughs> Open up to Genesis chapter 22 and we're going to be looking at a man named Abraham. Now Abraham, a couple things about him, right? Abraham was chosen. We don't really know why, but God selected this guy out of there. He's like, hey, I'm going to do a new thing with you. He gives him a new name, calls him to these wonderful places. He says, I'm going to make a great generation out of you. Hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people are going to. I'm going to make you a great nation through you and your son. And this is where the story picks up in Genesis chapter 22. It says this in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, 
Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, and I will, uh, I will tell you about. Um, okay, a lot happening in two verses. Would you agree? All right, this is not one of the first, like, wouldn't it be great if I was like, we're just going to talk about John 3.16 today, and here I am being like, go kill your kid. Um, <clears throat> good night. What are we talking about? Look at these first words. It said, what? God tested Abraham. Right? God tested Abraham. And I read this, and I'm like, uh-oh, because if God tests Abraham, what's he going to do to Caleb? Probably going to test me, right? Now, Abraham had to learn something here, and I think this is a great lesson. Abraham had to learn that, see, the testing of God was not meant to produce faith. The testing of God was meant to reveal the faith that Abraham already had. You see, sometimes, see, Abraham, like, God had been building up Abraham day after day, year after year, month after month, all of these times. He's been building up faith in Abraham. And so, God's, I think something we do, we think God's testing us to produce something that's not there. And God's like, uh-uh, I've been building up your faith since the moment you said yes to me. I've been making you into the man or woman of God in whom you are. This is why the promise, he says, I will not give you more than you can handle. So God doesn't test us to produce something that's not there. God tests us to reveal faith that we already have. See, I feel like I do this with my kids. I'm always, like, throwing them tests to, like, you know, would you do this just to see if they'll react differently? And they never do. They just reveal exactly who they are. Anyone feel this? Right? Me and my spouse do this all the time. Like, listen, there's, there's uh, two different kinds of people in the world, right? And they always live together because there's only one correct way to load a dishwasher. And I feel like we're always testing each other. To see if the other person will get it right. Like there's a way. There's bowls that go here. Plates go here. Silverware goes here. And then the other person who you live with opens it up and goes, it's empty. And they just fill it however they can. And we're testing each other to see if we'll ever be revealed that well, the other person will learn how to do it the right way. Anybody feel this? I feel like sometimes my wife just walks around and opens cabinets to test if I'll notice that they're all open. And she's like, maybe this will produce a sense of uh, cleanliness in the kitchen. She's like, did you notice all the cabinets open? I was like, I didn't even notice cabinets. Like, <laughs> I just felt like, th- I just say the cups are up high. That's like my only concept. I- trying to produce a different person. It ain't there, hon. Um, what are we talking about? Abraham. Okay. God test Abraham. Now, this is important, friends. I don't know if you're like me. Have you ever struggled to differentiate the testing of God with the tempting of the enemy? So this week, uh, when I was talking about this, I was like, you know, I think I need to ask this question because here's the deal. I don't know how to do it sometimes. Anybody feel this? Like, sometimes I think we start giving credit to the wrong place, right? I sit there and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why are you putting me through this? Why am I suffering this way? Why am I keep on failing and choosing things in the world? And God's like, son, that ain't me. That's not me. And sometimes I'm like, man, the enemy's hitting me, and the enemy's loud, and he's trying to get me to do this. And God's like, ah, ah, ah. I'm trying to pull something out of you right now, Caleb. So I think we have to, and, and here's the thing. When we seek God first, when we put God first, we make God first, we're able to see the difference between the tempting of the enemy and the testing of God. And I'd love to give you like an easy answer. The best I can do is this. Um, the tempting of the enemy leads us to doubt who God is and leaves us confused about how he feels about us. But the testing of God allows us to see that God is good and that he loves us. That's the difference, okay? The tempting of the enemy always leads us to choose the things of the world, and the testing of the Father always leads us back to him. Always, always, always. And they can look very similar. we got to keep going. Here we go, verse 2. 
Verse 1, it says, still in verse 1, he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said what? Here I am. Here I am. Look at the posture of Abraham right here. He was ready to be taught, ready to obey, ready to surrender, ready to be examined by God. This is God first, right? How many times like this, God's like, hey, Caleb, I got something for you today. And I'm like, can today just be Tuesday? Can I just have today, like, can I just go through the stuff on my list today? Anybody feel this? Like, like you're walking through and all of a sudden here comes this person into your life who needs a lot of stuff and you're just like, man, my gas is low and so is my account. Like, I don't need this today. But this is not the posture of people who've got God first, right? Abraham, he's like, hey, Abraham. And he's like, hey, here I am. This is the response that Abraham has. Here I am, ready, ready to be pushed. And what does he say? He says, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Okay, there's a chance to star, underline, highlight, tattoo on your arm right here, okay? Here it is. This is the first mention from Genesis 1-1 to this point we see of this word love, okay? So the very first time we're introduced to the idea of love in the Bible is in context of a father who loves his son and is supposed to sacrifice that son. It's almost as if God knew what he was doing when he was putting love into the Bible. Would you agree? The first time we're introduced to the word love, it's Isaac, or Abraham who loved his son Isaac, and he's told to sacrifice his son. God knows where he's going. And every phrase that God commands Abraham is like a twist of the knife. Look how he says it. Take you now your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, how many of you are just like, I'm out, right? Like, we're two verses in, and I'm out. Now, Abraham lived as a journeyer, right? So Abraham would travel all through the land of Canaan. And in doing that, he spent time in a lot of different tribes. And all of these tribes had gods, right? And all of their gods had the same thing in common. All of them. They all required sacrifice of some kind. And so when Abraham is told this by God, it's not that weird, other than the fact that he was hoping the God that Abraham worshipped, the God that you and I worship, the God we call Yahweh, he was really hoping that Yahweh would be different. And this was his desire, that, but now all of a sudden he's telling him to do this. So this idea of sacrificing, even sacrificing people you love, is the thing that all the pagan gods do. Now, I'm going to Tarantino this, give you the ending. God proves that he's different, right? God's going to prove that he's different at the end of the story, right? He says, offer him has a burnt offering. Now, this seemed to compromise the promise that God had given him. Remember what I told you at the beginning about Abraham. God had promised Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him. And he said, I'll do that through whom? Your son, Isaac. Now, to this point, Isaac had no children. He's like late 20s, early 30s. I'm going to guess 33 because I think that would be cool. Um, but he's got no kids. And so Abraham's wondering, wait, if you promise me that you'll give me a great nation through my son, but now you're telling me to sacrifice my son, it's like God is killing the promise that he gave him. Friends, here's what, I, here's what Abraham had to learn, and here's something that we got to learn. Abraham had to learn the difference between the promises of God and the promiser. And here's what happens, friends. We tend to trust the promises of God more than we trust the promiser. And so what we do, and we, when we, when the prom, we don't trust the promiser as much as the promises. So what we do is we don't like the way the promiser is doing things. He hasn't given us that promise, or he hasn't given it the way we like it. So we take that promise into our own hands, and in doing so, we pervert the promises of God. We read promises of God like, I'm for you, and I'm for all people, and I'm here to love all people. And we take that promise, and we like, but we don't like the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they vote, the way they think about things. So I'll only offer them that gift if they do these things like me. And God's like, uh-uh, my promise was for free. And so when we trust the promises of God over the promiser, 
we pervert the promises of God. Friends, can I give you this? It's going to be on screen. We got to trust the promiser no matter what. No matter what, we trust the promise, and the promises will be taken care of, friends. We, we aren't God, friends. We don't have the power of life and death. We can't resurrect anything, but Christ can. And so we trust the promiser no matter what. Even if we don't understand, we trust the promiser. Let's go on. Verse 3 says this. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place that God had told him about. Now, how, when did Abraham wake up? What's that verse say? He woke up when? Early. He rose early. No hesitation in Abraham's part. You think he slept much that night? Not even a little bit, right? Yeah, he woke up how? Early. It was a sleepless night. Abraham showed obedience. He said this. I don't understand what God's doing, but I'm going to obey even when I don't get it. Whew. I feel like, I'll just be, I feel like I share too much with you, church. Um, <laughs> I need to be careful when I do this. God calls me to do something like, all right, tell me the outcome and I'm your man. You want me to do this? All right, how's this conversation going to go? Sign me up. Tell me how this is going to end up. Tell me where this is going to go. God's called me to do something. I'm like, great. What's going to happen when I get there? You tell me that, and I'm, I got it. And this is, friends, that's the lacking of faith. You know what? That's not, that's not seeking God first. That's me seeking an assurance first. That's me seeking an outcome first. That's me seeking the goodest, the best situation possible. That's what it, that's seeking. Seeking God first is being like, I don't understand. I don't know why you're telling me to do this. I don't know what's going to be on the other side. Sign me up. Let's go. That's seeking God first, friends. This is what Abraham does. He doesn't hesitate at all. There's not a word of argument. There's no question. He simply says, you're God. You told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Uh, we could talk a whole lot about that, but there's a lot of cool things that happen on the third day when it comes to fathers and sons in this book. Um, it says this. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, Abraham, so full of faith that he says what? He spoke to them and says that, hey, don't worry. Me and my son will come back to you. Now, what did God commanded him to go do to Isaac? To go kill him. And yet he's telling these men, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to come back to you. So I began to like wrestle the past couple weeks. I was like, did Abraham, so Abraham didn't actually think God was going to do this. And he said, so I began to read. No, Abraham was just so full of faith that he said, God had already promised that he would make a great nation through my son. So even if I kill him, I guess God's going to, I don't know, bring him back from the dead or something because that's the promise because here's what he was sure of. And this is something I want to point out. Abraham didn't know the outcome. He knew that he told him to kill him, but he had already promised a great nation from him. I don't understand it, but here's what I know. God is not a liar. God is incapable of lying. That's what Abraham was sure of. He was so sure that God wasn't a liar. He's like, I'll go kill my son. He's already promised he's, he's going to make a great nation. So no one's been resurrected to this point, but I guess Isaac's going to be the first one. He was so sure. And here's the thing, guys. There are so many promises of God in this book. God has promised us things over and over and over and over again. And the world has beat those promises out of us, church. 
We have, at one point, you read a promise of God in this book, and it captured your heart, and it captured your soul, and you clung onto that promise, and the world kept hitting you over and over and over again, and now you've decided that promise must be for them, and it's not for me. Can I tell you something? God is incapable of lying to you. He is not a liar. And so you're like, well, then why have I been walking through it? Where is God? Where is he in this? Can I tell you something? God's not a liar. His promises are true. You can hang on to them. Promises like in Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. That's a promise from God. It says this, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. If you're in this room and you're walking through the water or the waves are crashing into you or you feel like you're in the furnace, can I give you a promise? They won't touch you. God's not a liar. You can hang on to that promise. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how loud the enemy is this week. God is not a liar, friends. He is not a liar. You can hang on to the promises of God. That's why it says in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes where? Before you. Asking God, where are you? Where are you, God? I don't see you anywhere. And he's like, hey, I'm up here. I'm gone before you. You can trust me. You can trust me. That's why in Psalm 23 says, even when I walk through the darkest valley. It doesn't say if. If I so happen to stumble upon a dark valley, if, you know, if I take a wrong turn and somehow end up. No, it says even when we walk through dark valleys, he will be with us. Friends, these are the promises of God, and they are true. Scripture tells us this, that the statutes of the Lord are right, and the word of the Lord is flawless, friends. My ability to understand it, interpret it, and preach it is sure flawed, but God is not. He cannot lie. We can trust the promises of God. It says this in verse 6. Let's go. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Now, that what I think would have been the hardest part. Okay, so they take a three-day trip to the top of this mountain. Him and Isaac, they cut the wood, do all the thing. He woke up early. He did it. But at some point, off the donkey, Abraham had to grab the knife. He couldn't get up there and be like, all right, Isaac, lay down. Oh, ah, bummer. Well, let's go back home. You know what I mean? Like, like how many of us would have forgot the knife? On the, like, forgot the knife. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Every time I feel God telling me to reach out to someone or talk to someone, I, uh, I forget the knife. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I was going to, but I don't know what time they get off of work, so I'm out. You know what I mean? I'm just like, when it comes down to the moment where we actually have to do the thing, it's easy for me to say yes to God and think I've actually done the thing he's called me to do. And our obedience dies at the yes. We've said yes to God, so we think we've done the thing he's told us to do. But we forgot the knife on the donkey right? We don't actually get to that point. Seeking God first isn't doing things halfway. It's doing it with all that we have. Let's go to verse 7. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, has your kids or somebody you love or a sibling or a neighbor ever asked you a question and you didn't want to give the answer? And you just have that long pause between you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Dad, why is this? Or, or, or hey, how, do you know anything about this? And you're just like, Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? And Abraham looks at his son and has a moment, right? In verse 8, what does he say? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, Abraham answered, and he said this, God's going to provide the lamb. Now, at this point, did Abraham know? 
No. We know the end of the story, so it's real easy for us, right? But he didn't know. And yet Abraham had trusted, well, God did give me Isaac. So in the way, God had already provided in his mind. Isaac didn't know he was the lamb. But Abraham was like, God already provided my son. This is what he's told me to do. I'll go. Friends, do I have to spell this out of the picture of Jesus and the cross? Have we picked it up yet? In Genesis 22, a couple thousand years before it actually happened, we see the picture of Jesus at the cross thousands of years before. We have a son who was willingly laid down, who carried the wood up the hill that would pay a sacrifice, and the father knew that somehow, some way, it wouldn't end this way. This is Jesus all over the place. Friends, if you think this book is boring, we're reading a different book, okay? This is just an NIV. Had it a long time. Let's go to verse 10. Uh, verse, let's go to verse 9. It says this. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. They arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac on it, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Um, there's a lot we could say here, but we'll just say this. Um, if you want to talk a lot of faith about Abraham, we can't forget the faith that Isaac had, right? Isaac could have overpowered his father. He could have done it. Kid's 30-something years old. Abraham's like 100. I got 10 bucks on Isaac. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The over-under is easy on this. One round. But Isaac laid down. It's as if Jesus has been screaming at us from the beginning of time, hasn't he? I'm going to do things different. I'm going to be different. Isaac laid down, an obedient son, ready to be sacrificed, also not having the answers. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But, what if I stop there? (laughs) Oh, that cracks me up. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And his answer is the exact same as it was in verse 1. Here I am, he replied. Whew, I bet that's one happy dad. It says, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him now that, now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram um, as, as a burnt offering instead of his son. So we have this picture, right? Abraham's about to do it. Often believers, we wonder how they know the will of God, right? And I think one thing we do is we go 99%, but I don't think we ever take the knife out. You know what I'm saying? Like Abraham only did it because he went all the way. He was seeking God fully, not in 99%, but he went all the way. And then God was like... I got you. I'm here. I'm here. He says, do not lay a hand on your son. Now, I want to take you back. Abraham journeyed from tribe to tribe throughout Canaan. And he wondered, is Yahweh different than these other gods? Because all these gods require that we have sacrifices. They require that you sacrifice even people whom you love. And Yahweh is calling me to do the same. And in this moment, this is why this verse is so unbelievably important. God proved that he was different than every other God that people served in all the world at that moment. He proved that all of these other gods require of you, but I don't. God made a new covenant in this chapter, in this verse right here. He says, no longer are things required. I'll do it for you. It's done. And can I tell you the most incredible thing? Not only did God do that to prove all the other gods on the world at that time that he was different than them, 
God is still doing that today, friends. The only difference, or the biggest difference between our religion and every other one is that our God did it for us. Our God did it for us. Every other place demands that someone else do it for you. I had the incredible opportunity for two years to teach English as a second language. And I went from working in a church to teaching about 120 Muslim students. And I loved these students. And I lived life with them. And I ate with them and shared with them. And the one thing they couldn't get over was the fact that my God loved me. And they would say, here's what Allah requires of me. And Allah requires this of me and this of me and this of me and this of me. And they said, is this the same for you, teacher? And I said, everything Allah requires of you, Jesus did for me. And they looked at me and they said, this is good, teacher. I say, we literally call it the good news. <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> like, this is good. Yeah, Jesus did it for us. This is a new covenant, friends. Everything that everything, every other place requires of you, but not our God. Our God says, I don't care that you don't understand. I don't care that you didn't deserve it. And friends, we don't. We don't want to play the game what we deserve. That's a game I'm not interested in, right? And our God said, I don't care. I'll do it for you. This is the God. This is our Yahweh who we worship. Verse 14, and we'll end the story right here. It says this. So Abraham, ooh, this, this is where the Bible gets cool, cool. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me give you a cool little tangent. Upon this mountain, on this very place, is where Jerusalem was established, and they built their temple. And the Holy of Holies, where these priests took and sacrificed animals so that we could convene with God, to have conversation with God, was on the very rock where Abraham laid his son Isaac down, on the place where the Lord would provide. And a couple thousand years later, when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, it is finished, and the earth began to shake, and the curtain of the Holy Holy split over the rock where Abraham laid Isaac God continues to provide. And because that curtain split this morning, you and I, when we desire to seek God first, we can say, dear God, and he says, here I am. Now, God is still providing from the very mountain that Abraham laid his son Isaac down. He's providing so that in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, you and I can call out to him anytime we want, and he will answer, here I am. What can I do for you? God provides for his children. So I think that's pretty cool. Friends, what do we do with this this morning? What do we do with this story? What do, what do we do with this idea of seeking God first and the story of Abraham and Isaac? Well, here's what I know. When we say make God first, when we talk about seeking God first, I know this. Every one of us have something that's first. Can we agree? Like, can we just like authentically agree? We all have something that's first. And in fact, Jesus does this every time he encounters someone in Scripture what does he do? He tries to get in their heart of what's first for you, right? He goes to the rich young ruler we talked about him last week. He's like, hey, I want to follow you. And he's like, all right, would you give up everything you got? And he's like, uh-uh, can't do it, right? He tells Jonah to go and reach people, and Jonah's like, yeah, but I don't like those people. He goes to what's your first, right? They bring the woman caught in adultery, and they want to stone her, and Jesus is like, well, let's look at the thing that's most important to you. And they're like, ah, drop the rocks. I'm like, Jesus is always in the business of asking you, what's your first? Because here's what I know, friends. When the wrong thing is in the driver's seat, we end up in destinations that we never imagined we would end up in. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever been w wondering, like, man, how did I end up here? And you got to ask yourself, well, what's driving the car, man? What's first? What's the thing your mind is thinking about? What is driving you? 
This is why when God tests us, our answers are, no way. I can't climb that mountain. When God tests us, we're like, okay, explain the plan to me first, and then I'll be your guy. Give me the answers, and then I'll do it. It's because he's not first. This is why when God is doing things with us and we don't like the way that it's going, we end up bailing and go, oh, I forgot the knife. It's back there. This is why we had doubt who God is and we're confused about the way he feels about us. It's because we haven't put him first. This is why, friends, this is, this is, hit you at all. It's why we can feel so good on Sunday when we gather with God's people and on Tuesday we wonder why he has abandoned us in our difficult season. And on Thursday we ask God, where are you? Why can't I hear your voice? It's because we just don't got him in the right spot. And God understands this. But when we seek him first, friends, when we seek him first, we see the difference between the tempting and the testing, right? When we seek him first, Our faith that God has been building us is revealed to us. And we can see, wow, God has been building this. He's been preparing this for me. And I can see what he has for me. When we seek him first, we can trust the promiser no matter what, friends. We trust the promiser no matter what. When we seek God first, when we put him in the right spot, we hold on to the promise and we know that his promises are true because God is incapable of lying to us. When we put him first, we, we say, I don't understand it, God. I don't know why you're calling me to do this. I don't know what you have for me, but you're God. You've called me to do it. Here I am. Let's climb the mountain. And my prayer is that we would be a church that doesn't know the answers, doesn't know what God's calling us to do, doesn't understand why, but we are a church that says, here we are. Let's climb the mountain. We want to be about the things of God and the promises of God. May that be said of us, OKC Community Church, because we have put him first. When we seek him first, it's on the screen. When we seek God first, we find that God is good and that he loves you, friends. And if that's the result of seeking God and putting him first, why on earth do we spend time seeking other things? If we really believe the gospel of Jesus is the greatest story ever told, why do we waste our breath so often telling other stories? Why? We seek him first, friends. We see that he is good and that he loves us. So I invite you to pray with me for a moment. Here's what I want to ask you. Because we're going to have a prayer team up front. And, and this is what I know, that every one of us has something that's first. And I want you to hear me say this. This is not a guilty thing. I talked about it at the beginning. This is not a guilty thing of, oh, man, I, God's not first in my life. I'm doing something wrong. Don't hear me say that. Hear me say this. This is a lordship thing. This is a, oh, man, God's not first. How exciting is it that I get to experience the goodness and love of God unlike I have in a long time? That's what happens when we seek God first. This is not anything that should make you feel guilt. This is a freeing thing to do, to seek God first, to put him first and say, I can experience the goodness and the love of God like I haven't in a long time, and I want that. So as we pray here right now, I want to pray for you. Our prayer team wants to pray for you. And no one's looking around. Everyone's had that. But that's you this morning. That's you, and you would say, Caleb, I want to put him first. I know it might cost me something. I, I know that... I, know, I want you to know it's scary to me that I don't know the outcome. What, what does it mean to seek God first? I don't know where it's going to lead me, but I want to do it. Would you pray for me? Caleb, would you give me the boldness to climb the mountain? I want to do that, but I know it's hard. Would you give me the courage this week to put him first? Wherever you are around the room, would you just put your hand up? No one's looking around. I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, let's put him first. 
I see you. I got you. I got you. I see you. Hands all around this room. God, we want to put you first. We want to put you first. I see you. Would you have courage this week to put him first? And I know there's, I know there's some people in here who would say, Caleb, he's not first. He's not second. He's not third. I haven't sought God in a long time. You know what, Caleb? I haven't sought him at all. Can I tell you something? That when your scripture says that while you were in your mother's womb, he was thinking about you. From the moment you took your first breath, God has been obsessed and consumed with finding you and making him your, his son or his daughter. It says he stands and he seeks and he knocks. You would say, Caleb, I haven't thought about God in a long time. Can I tell you something? He hasn't stopped thinking about you all week. He can't get you out of his mind. We would love to pray with you and to invite you to engage with what, what does it mean to even seek Jesus at all. We want to pray for you. My prayer for us this week, church, is that we would be a people who experience God's goodness and his love this week. That we would be a people that say yes to whatever he's calling us to. And we would climb the mountain. That we would be a people that because we've seeked him first, because we put him first, that we would trust the promiser over the promises because we as a people have decided to seek first the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, I pray for this church this morning. I pray for the new thing that you're doing in this church. I pray for this stirring of the hearts that you're doing in this place. God, I pray for all of the reasons we have to not do something that those would be washed away by the promise of what happens when we seek you first. That the assurance that we will see that you are a good God who loves us, may that be the driver of our heart. Not anything about guilt or shame about what we don't have, but God, a desire to experience your goodness and love. May that drive us to seek you first above all things. May this week we seek out the promiser more than the promises, Jesus. May we trust that you have it better than we do. That the way you're going to do things is better than we would. Father, this week, I pray that as you bring people into our lives, that we would say, here I am, Lord. Use me, God. That we wouldn't run. That we would do things with all that we have, not holding back from what you've called us to. But God, because we've put you first, would you do things that only you can do? Would you change people in only ways that you can? God, I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in, being people who seek you first in all that we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.